we've been talking about the healings of Jesus, and there are 19 of these healings. There are only 19 miracles that Jesus performed healings like this, and there's principles that we need to get out of these, these, these healings. And Jesus spoke to my heart and told me that I needed to preach these. Even today, I wanted to go a different route, but I could not leave what I believe is pertinent and important. You know, the Ebola virus is, is traveling the world now. The Bible says there are going to be diversity plagues and all kinds of things that are going to cover the earth as we see wars, rumors of wars, strange and diverse uh, types of uh, weather are going to happen. And somehow, I don't know, but I know God has told me to preach this message about healing, that I know this is what our church needs right now, right at this time. And, 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 and if not for, you know, I've learned something about going to the bank. If you don't have it in your account, you can't pull it out. Somebody shout out amen. amen. You know, Miss Mary has taught this years and years ago, and she still teaches this. I love this statement. We've learned this together. It's a lot easier to get your healing when you're vertical than it is to get your healing when you're horizontal. I'd rather stay healed and stay well than get sick and get a healing. How about you? And what I'm teaching will not only keep you from getting sick, but it will deliver you from sickness when it comes. Too many people of God have come to the point in their lives where they're challenged with sickness and disease, and they have no resource to go back to. And I'm believing God, standing in faith, that what I'm teaching and putting out here, these several weeks that we're doing, will provide a bank account and a source so that you and I will have the resource necessary, the bank account necessary, so that when sickness and disease comes and attacks our body, we're not then trying to uh, dive through the word to get what we've got to get at that moment. When you're throwing up at the toilet, it's not the time to break out the Bible and find verses on healing. Oh, yeah, somebody shout out amen. Somebody shout that out. Anybody ever been there ralphing at the toilet? It's real hard to praise God right then, isn't it? Oh, praise the Lord. You know I'm right. But you need to learn the principles now. And I, and I believe that God has provided this. And some people don't understand. If, you ever, if you'll ever come to the realization God puts it in the heart of a pastor, the things that the people connected to him need, you need this. Whether you want it or not. I like ice cream. I got a refrigerator full of it. I do. I got, I got a refrigerator. But I have come to realize at 272 pounds, which is not where I'm at today. That's right, amen. I'm at 245 pounds today. See, faith will work for fat too. Amen. But I realized at 272, I did not need any more ice cream. I better eat some broccoli. <laughs> and this may not be ice cream. I don't know that anybody's going to run the aisles on what I speak today. I don't expect you to flip in your hair to stand up, but I promise you, if you'll hear what I've got to say and start digesting this and put this in your spirit, when the time comes that you need it, when the time comes that a family member needs it, when the time comes, you'll have the vehicle necessary and the provisions to supply you and sustain you at the moment of your need. Somebody say amen. amen. Are you at John chapter 4? Yes. Starting at the 46th verse. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee where he made the water into wine. I want to stop here for just a minute. I want to stop here for just a minute. And I want to address something very important. Many believers today have used this scripture to justify and have used this particular passage as their source of reference for it's okay to drink a little. You know, sipping saints. 
you know, little wine for the stomach's sake. Now, I'm not being critical, and I don't, want to be Chris, I don't want to be judgmental today. That's not the point. Jesus meets us where we are. But many have used this to, as the very, you know, Jesus turned water into wine. And they use this as their, as their uh, 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 reference point and as the source of their strength behind an argument that, in my opinion, is, is very false. And, and the, 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 real fruit, the real truth of the fact is, is that when, this, when the Bible says this, the word wine used here, and, and I mean, if you come from a flavor, I mean, if you want to keep your wine, you can make it say what you want. You'd start with a belief and then make it fit. But if you start and you go through the New Testament, see where it says, be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be being filled with the Spirit. That wine makes a mocker. He said, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I mean, this is the scriptures, and then we put those scriptures in context with this. And, you know, one of the things I see, see church people do is they take a scripture without context. If you want to know what something says, you've got to add the surrounding uh, environment to it. You've got to put the surroundings to it. And, you know, there, there, this, this word wine in this scripture, the, the Bible used this word, fruit of the vine. Fruit of the vine. This doesn't say alcohol. It says fruit of the vine. That's what it says. God made fruit of the vine. Water into fruit of the vine. And just like today we have drinks and so forth and so on, y'all, they they had uh, favored drinks as well. Uh, I mean, you know, they gave their children just like you would apple juice or grape juice or cranberry juice or whatever was available. I mean, uh, you know, uh, today it's for us as you who's and you know, uh, whatever, but then it was grape juice and apple juice. That was the drinks of the time. And there was a fermented variety and there was an unfermented variety. There were two varieties of this, of this particular substance called fruit of the vine. And, and if you want to know, interestingly enough, when Jesus made water into wine, I, you know, I've looked at the context of scriptures that if, you know, when you see a, a, a fermented variety of wine, you always see reveling, mayhem, when you see the unfruit, un, unfermented variety, you'll see a different character around it, a different type of environment. Well, this was a, way, a, a wedding. The party goers that were here at this time in Galilee, they had their children at a, at a wedding. All the family was there, not just adults. This was family with children. And just like today, you wouldn't give your children wine, a mind-altering substance, Amen. How many understand that, that alcoholic beverages are a mind-altering substance? Amen. And to suggest that Jesus made a mind-altering substance at this wedding for all these families and their children is ludicrous. Inebriated. That he wanted to get everybody tipsy. I, I, I bet my bottom dollar that he didn't get everybody tipsy. I mean, Jesus has given us directions on how we're to handle the, 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 the challenges in our lives and the feelings of emotions and all this. And we know the very first sniff of alcohol makes you calm and, and serene and begins to change your emotions. But God said you're to go to him for these things. He didn't provide an alcoholic beverage so that you can be feeling better. He said, cast all your cares on. Oh, somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. Matter of fact, everybody say amen. 
And I, I just want to stay on this long enough because uh, I see people, you know, many, you know, most of the world's challenges, most of the deaths that we see occur, some of the greatest disasters in human experience are all surrounding alcohol. If you'll look at your own life, you'll see where you had some very disastrous, if, you're, if you've drunk before, maybe you've given it up or whatever, but if you look, many of the disasters of your life came right out of you drinking. I got one amen, Steve, just one. Wine meant fruit of the wine, fermented and unfermented. We look at the difference. It was their recreational drink. And when we look at the context, we see that this context does not give reference to the idea that Jesus made an alcoholic substance. And I'll just say this. You can rest assured that Jesus was giving them something that, that did not make them tipsy. Alcohol impairs judgment. And we have, if you went to the CDC website, which I have done, and look, because people will say, you know, the Bible says be drunk, but don't, I mean, be, you could be drunk, be not drunk. The idea of drunk. But according to the CDC, a thimble. It's not that people are drinking thimbles. They don't go down and drink a half a beer. They have a case. Today we have churches teaching people to have Bible studies drunk. You know, having a kegger while they read the word. Folks, I'm telling you, if somebody said to me, what do you think is the appropriate amount of alcohol? None. None. You don't need it. And if you'll live with God long enough, you won't want it. How many saints in here have given it up, really made up your mind, you're never going to have it? Now, how many would say you want it? I don't want it. I have no desire for it. Let me ask you this. How much do you think would be appropriate for your pilot? That's a really good question. How about your brain surgeon? How much would it be appropriate? I mean, would you consider it okay for them to have a glass of wine before they did your brain surgery? I'm pretty sure not one of you would want your brain surgeon drinking before he did the job. Or your pilot. It impairs judgment. You know, you want that man in that cockpit to be completely sober. If you went to the FAA, they won't allow them to have any drinks hours and hours before they get on a flight. Isn't this true? Because they are to be completely unimpaired in their judgment. Folks, God does not make things that impair our judgment or take us into spirit world. As a matter of fact, the word, you know, they, they used to have, they remember everywhere you'd see you had wine and spirits. They changed it now. Now they've changed it. That's a beverage house. No, that's, that, it's still wines and spirits. It opens you up to things. Folks, as born-again believers, I want to encourage you. And I want to stand up here. I, I think it's wrong for us as pastors or churches to ever stand in the pulpits of our churches and encourage people to do things that might impair judgment and take them into an arena that would damage their lives. Where they could have an accident behind the wheel and kill someone. Somebody say amen. To encourage that would be completely wrong. And people will want to fight with me. They'll fight and they'll want to fight for their right to have a beer. But this is not what Jesus was doing here. I don't need a beer. He said, be filled with. See, most people have never tapped in the spirit, so they don't know the difference. 
We need to be a free from these kinds of things. You can do what you want to. You can believe what you want to. But I'm telling you that my belief is you ought to steer clear of these things. Somebody say amen. amen. Well, I thought I'd just define that for everybody. Aren't you glad I did? Yes. Amen. And then let's go on with this passage. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he had heard that Jesus was coming to Judea of Galilee, he went up unto him and he besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said unto him, Except you see a sign and a wonder, you will not believe. The nobleman said unto him, Sir, come with me, ere my children die, my child die. And Jesus said unto him, Go your way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now gone down, his servant met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquire he of them that hour when he had began to amend. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said this unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he had come out of Jerusalem into Galilee. First, I want to deal with something. Many people have a misconception of grace. And there's a lot of teaching on grace today that almost makes it appear as if the only thing that you're going to need is God's grace. That God's grace will provide whatever you need, unmerited to you, and that a grace alone works. But God has, has never put in his word grace without faith. You see, if all we stand on is grace... We've missed how to receive what grace has provided. See, grace is the provision of God, unmerited. God did all that he did because he loves us. He did it freely without us doing anything to encourage him doing it. That's grace. But in order for me to, to tap into or receive what grace has provided, I have to use faith. Here's an example. For by grace, provisionally, are you saved. Through faith. So grace has provided that thing, but faith receives it. I would like it in, unto a well. If you and I had a well, have you ever had one of those wells out in your backyard? In the ground is water. The provision you need is in the ground. It's there. But to get the water to you, you needed a pump. Faith takes what's in the ground water and pulls it into the arena of our life and makes the provision available. I can drink the water by faith. I mean, that's just a, a, a likening. But see, you, many people have that all messed up. They're laying in beds of affliction and they're hearing messages of grace and hearing somebody say, God has healed you. That's true. By Jesus' stripes, you were healed. God has healed you. When Jesus died on the cross, you and I received that, that healing provision when we accepted Christ. We have it. But in order for me to, uh, to receive it and experience the manifestation of it, I must use something to, to, it, to, to tool it into my life. And faith is what takes the provision of healing and applies it to my condition. 
Faith is what does that. So, so faith and grace are an important measure. I had a lady that recently we lost who was listening to various preachers on television and they were telling her she was healed and yet she was in fear, in doubt, unbelief. She was, a, she was dealing with challenges. She had no confession. She had none of the things that needed to be said or done. She, her action and corresponding action weren't there and we lost her. She's gone on to be with the Lord. Well, thank God she knew Jesus. She's in heaven, but she didn't experience healing because she didn't know how to get past grace. How many people are sitting in the world today, salvation provided for them, and Jesus said this, it is the will of God that none should perish, but that everyone should come to everlasting life, but they never receive it because they never apply their faith. There's never an action. They never walk an aisle. They never step forth in the house of God. They never accept Christ as Lord and said they never believe in their heart, confess with their mouth. So you can't just have grace. You've got to have faith. Faith has to bring to you the provisions of grace. Say amen. If we look at this, we can see from this man's experience, he humbled himself. We've said this before. One thing I've come to realize in just about every experience that I've seen that Jesus did miracles, signs, and wonders, you had to humble yourself. Mm -hmm. I, I, you can see this. This man was a noble man, meaning he was either a prince or some type of royalty or associated to royalty. He didn't have to come down here to Jesus. He didn't have to make his way to Jesus. He could have sent for Jesus. But he realized humbly that that wasn't the approach to take. And we need to use our humility when we come to Jesus. We need to be humble. This is just one of the principles that we see here. He humbled himself. He went to Jesus. You've got to realize he had to walk a two-day journey. One day to get there, one to get back. There wasn't no car. He had to walk. And Galilee is a large place, and he walked there. It took a day to get to Jesus. The total journey was two days. But he recognized the anointing and made the effort. Folks we got to recognize anointing and make the effort. I applaud you today that you made the effort to be here to have the anointing applied to your children. Amen. The thrust of my message is certainly healing, but the greater parameter here is faith in general. This will apply to everything you're going to need in your life. And I'm certainly sticking towards healing because I feel like I need to do this. But, but I mean, think, we have to come humbly before God and come towards the anointing and come on behalf. Another aspect of this is this, this man was beseeching on, be, on behalf of his son. Now, I will say this. I believe this to be true. I have authority over my children, and I have the right to use my faith in behalf of my children to a certain age. I believe that I can apply, drag them to church. Matter of fact, folks, I want to tell you something. At a certain age, you need to drag your kids to church. I mean, you're talking about an hour and a half today. They're going to be in the house of God out of all the hours of the week. And if we get them in on youth, if you manage to bring them to youth on Wednesday night for the hour that they're here, so we got two and a half hours of time compared to how many just on the football field? How many around the video games? Two and a half hours of church time compared to how many hours per day are your kids on your iPad, iPhone? Oh, hallelujah. Let's be honest. My son could be on an iPad 24 hours, seven days. Playing games. He asked me when he wakes up in the morning and when he goes to bed at night, can I have the iPad? Can I have the iPad? Anybody with me? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, tell the truth. Some of y'all went ahead and got him one. I had to take his phone. I, I was going to be real kind to Stephen. I wanted him to have it, so I thought I'd give him a little phone, but I realized he wasn't responsible enough for that phone. So I took the phone away. But I think about how many times we have right here in church, an hour and a half on Sundays. If you come on Sunday night, which 
I'd say only about 30% of this congregation today will be back tonight. I'm only going to go an hour, so if you come, we'll pray and get out of here. I might even go 45 because kids got school tomorrow. But let's just say the average person might come on Wednesday if you've got kids. Now, you'll drag them to the football field. You'll tell them that the team is everything, and we don't let our team down. I'm they're counting on you at the football field. They're counting on that coach is counting on you to be there. And if you're not there, that team can't succeed. If we're going to be responsible, we need to be on the football field every time we're supposed to be. You know how I know that? I've said it. I've said it. Say amen. amen. And yet when it comes to church, how you feel, Johnny? Well, I'm tired. I was up last night with my friends. We was having a sleepover, and I just don't feel like going to church this morning. Well, just sleep in, Johnny. Don't worry about it. We don't need to go to church. Just go ahead and sleep on the end. Don't worry about it. It's not that important. It is that important. It's eternity. Football will not gain your child eternity. Jesus will. If ever there was an important thing in our life, it's the house of God. And you need to apply that principle to your child. We need to come humbly and we need to realize that we need to press into the anointing and come to where the anointing is. Somebody say amen. Well, that's a good word right there. I'd come to church just for that one. Somebody say amen. Amen. But as a parent, you have authority over this. This man came in parental authority to Jesus and was coming with a sick child in an emergency. And Jesus recognized this man's coming. And he acknowledged it. He didn't turn him away because sometimes we'll think that only faith we can use is for ourselves. That is true, but there are times when you can use your faith for someone else. In this case, certainly for your child. Somebody say amen. Amen. It may just be enough to get them to the hospital, but you can use your faith for your child. Looking at verse 48, we see something very important. This man came to Jesus. When he came to Jesus and came in this room, uh, came to him, Jesus recognized that he did not have enough faith for his son to be healed. He did not recognize, this is John 4, 48, he did not recognize that he, or Jesus saw he did not have enough faith to be healed. A second time, the man even says to him, says, no, you got to come. So when the man came to Jesus, he arrives there with the knowledge that if he could see it, and when he sees it, he'll believe it. If I can get you, Jesus, to come to my house, then I know my son will be whole. And Jesus was saying, no, you have a seeing and believing mentality. You get the picture? And so Jesus says to him, I'll go with you. But on the journey, he finally says to the man, only if, let's let's, let's just look at it again. We'll read it again. Uh, It says, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the nobleman said to him, sir, come again. He says, come, ere my child die. Somewhere between that point and the next one, Jesus said to him, go your way. Thy son liveth. And the man believed the word of God and and went his way. You see, the man got a revelation between he needed to see it to believe it and the moment he walked away from Jesus knowing that his son was healed. Believing became reality in that moment. Many of us have a seeing is believing mentality. 
And we sit waiting to see the signs of our progress. We want to see the signs of our situation. Let me read you some notes. We can assume that this man came here by faith. He made the journey. But his faith had not grown. Many sit in churches today and their faith hasn't actually grown. That's what I was talking about, feeding yourself. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. There has to come a point in a believer's life. When you are a mature believer, you don't need to see nothing. You don't need an experience in church. You don't have to have your feathers tickled. You don't have to have the hair run up and down your back. If God told you to be somewhere, brother, you're just there. If God spoke to you, and God don't change his mind as much as we do. I got people are fickle, man. If it, ain't, if it ain't just right for them, you ain't got to preach the right word for me. You just got to preach the word for me. I could get fed by a donkey, I promise you. Because when God speaks, then I don't need a sign. I don't need an evidence to know that God did it. Because my reliance is not on the emotional content of whatever's going on. My reliance is only on the word of God. I believe the word no matter what I see. I don't need to see. I don't need to feel. I'm constant. I'm consistent. Remember, this man came in faith. But his faith had not grown to the point that he could accept the fact that he was healed. Except you see seeing, he said. Except you see evidence of the miraculous, you're, going, you're not going to believe in the miraculous. And he said, you want me to come down and see uh, and have minister under your son so that you can see and believe. Jesus addressed the fact and had th- this man had enough faith to leave him and go in faith. So Jesus is saying to the man, you're not where you need to be, but, you're, but the, uh, for the faith and the power to operate to heal your son. But we know that he came into faith, don't we? Mm-hmm. Could have been like Nahum. Naaman. Remember Naaman came to God uh, and, and, and the prophet said, you, you know, I sent his servant out and Naaman got mad and left. Not this man. This man believed the word. Somebody say amen. He believed without seeing. He put corresponding actions to it as he left. And the results were the power of God operated to heal. How many understand your actions have to exhibit your faith? (laughs) Many people have a faith without a corresponding action. If you believe you're healed, you act like it. Whether you have a sign of it or not. This man left and he believed. Let's look at Thomas. Turn over in your Bibles to John chapter 20, 29. This is a Thomas kind of faith. I need to close up, so I'm going to bring this very shortly. Listen to Thomas, Thomas in, in John 20, 29. Listen to what it says. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Because they have not seen me, yet they believe. Remember, Jesus came, and he had shown himself to the disciples, and Thomas wasn't there, and he didn't believe. But then he comes back and says, I got to see Jesus is saying to him, you, listen, the word here, listen to it. It says, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed. That word blessed there is the word powered and empowered to prosper. Empowered to prosper are they that have not seen and yet believe. That don't require a sight. If you're going to get your healing and you're going to have the power of God come to bear, you're going to have to come away from the table of God. Without one sign, without one piece of evidence, without one thing indicating to you that you were healed, and believe anyway. Believe anyway. Believe no matter what. 
a believing that is settled that, that, and, and, and no doubt, no matter how long it takes. Somebody say amen. amen. Empowered to prosper are those that believe and have not seen. It's a reference to Ephesians 1.19 that calls on the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. There's a power that's available to us. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us if we believe. But what kind of belief? A belief that doesn't need sight. A belief that doesn't need uh, experiential knowledge. That doesn't need uh, to have uh, any visible signs to it. Real maturity believes the word of God and that's it. That's it. There's no other question as to whether or not God will ever do it. When you come to a point of sickness and disease, you've got to get the word on it and stick with the word. You've got to stick with the word. We see here, though, that for us to have that power, it's predicated on whether or not you have to see something in order to believe it. Now, there are two types of faith exhibited here. The first type of faith is the type of faith this man had as he left. The non-seeing faith. But when we look at when he gets home to his family, they never heard Jesus speak. They never heard a word Jesus said. But when he gets home to his family, they believed. How come they believed? Because they saw they saw. So there's two types of believing. There's a, a seeing is believing and a believing is seeing. For real faith people, it has to be the second or the first believing. Believing and seeing. Now what causes us to miss out? We have to take another step. A step beyond the natural realm. A step beyond what we've seen. For those of, for those of you, if you ever get sick, you've got to get the word. And you've got to get more of the word. And you've got to hear the word. And you've got to keep hearing the word. Because that's the only way you're going to have a belief system that doesn't need to see anything. Because all you see is what the word says. You've got to get more word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. Now here's the big problem. Here's the real big problem. How long will it take? How long will it take? See, if you're going to get something from God, see, some of you believe me for finances. I bring these together because, you know, you'll tithe. You say, I'm going to try this for a couple months. And then you don't see anything. And something comes up, and now you're willing to give in or give up. Most of us have a default setting on the inside of us. And that default setting is to determine how long we're going to have to wait to see something. It may even be something that, uh, that you do actively or actually are thinking about. It's just something that actually happens in the uh, cognitive mind of a human because as human beings, uh, God made us to want to see it. Your body, your mind wants to see it. You want to see it. And so the real question here becomes, how long will it take? Well, here's the answer. As long as it takes. That you're, if you have a, a believing without seeing mentality, then it doesn't matter what you see or don't see, you're not going to quit. You don't quit tithing, you are a tither. Whether I ever see it or don't. But see, it's when you, when you have that kind of faith, that's when you see it. What kind of circumstances or adversity are going to come to cause you to say, well, I think I'll give in the towel? Where's the limit? What's the time limit? How long will you continue? How long will you go without seeing it? If you're going to be one who believes without seeing, you're going to go no matter what you see. If that's where your faith is. But the only way you're going to receive from God is when you become a believer without seeing it. 
Oh, I wish somebody would get what I'm trying to say today. And here's the problem. People will sit in churches. I have people who have randomly left the church because they need to get an extra word. And I'll tell you something. They've left right before. How many of you have been? I, I have seen more people standing on faith for finances. And right before they were going to get it, they didn't see what they needed to see. They didn't have the emotion they needed to have. They didn't get the stirring they thought they should have gotten. How many people have quit a diet at pound 38? Oh, come on. Oh, I'm just preaching real good right now. How many people? Let's, let's be honest about it. You were on the treadmill like a rodent. You running like crazy. And the first few months, you just saw weight shred off of you. It just drained off you like water. You could lose a pound a day, man. That first week, it was 10 full pounds, man. About week 20. You're on the treadmill all day long. You're walking, you're eating, you're even starving yourself. You quit eating altogether, and you can't even lose a pound. Everybody ever been there where you plateaued? And, and you quit. Has anybody quit? I've quit a dozen times, at least a dozen. At least a dozen times, right there. But if I'd have stuck with it, how many believe if I'd have kept my calorie counting down, and I'd have kept my exercise up, and I'd have kept going, that somewhere I'd break that moment, I'd break that moment. Right. Hey, there ain't no fun in running on the treadmill. Come on. I don't care how much music you play and what video you put in front of you. Oh, that's just good preaching. Ain't no fun in that. But if you want to get your weight off and you want to get your heart rate up and you want to get healthier, you're going to have to run that track. You're going to have to do some of the hard things. That's what preaching is like. This, see, right now everybody wants me to stir them up. I could run across your table. Oh, the blessings of the Lord make rich. And no, ha, sorry that you, ha, and the Lord will cause his, and the Lord will Aaron's beard and, and, the, and the promises of God are yes and amen. Oh, everybody want to shout and run the aisle. But if I tell you, you need to get on the treadmill and shred some pounds. Everybody's yawning. Give me some word. I'm giving you some word. This is strong word. You're not going to get anything from God on candy. You gotta come to the point you can believe and not see. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Can't expect every time you turn around that God is gonna tickle you and make you feel good. Salvation is not a feel good experience, it's a, a sense on the inside. I know! It bothers me when Christians are just all about entertainment. We do it even in Pentecost. I mean, I see churches that all they are is entertainment. We do just as bad in Pentecostal circles. Come on, Pastor, get the toupee. Look what the Lord has to. I ain't going there today. Y'all need to learn to believe. Stand on faith. How long does it take till you get it? You had all that good stuff, the good feelings and all the shouting and the dancing and the running and the flipping and the, how many of you are totally healed and healthy in your body? If you're not, it didn't work. 
How many of your businesses are overflowing and growing and expanding in massive amounts? And God said he'd make increase come. Then we need to teach a message that will cause somebody's life to expand and grow and fulfill promises of God. We don't need emotional experiences. People running and hooping and hollering and sipping. And he preached like he mad. I get mad when the devil trips folks up on emotion. Well, I've had more than one person come to me. I'm just not being fed. Well, then feed me. I asked a man this week, how many times have you prayed for me this week? I fasted for you three days. I prayed for you for seven days. I prepared a message for seven days for you. So when you come to church, how many times do you pray for me? None. Well, yeah, you ain't got that loving feeling. Sure, you don't have that loving feeling. That'd be like being with a wife you never saw. <laughs> At what point do you start feeding me? At what point do you start praying for me? At what point do you start praying for your church and inviting your friends? And Stop trying to evaluate whether we meet the criteria of your life. When God brings you to a house, he said he fitly joins us together and that every joint supplieth. My ear has never decided to take a break. Well, I don't feel like getting up this morning, Steve. I think I'm going to take a day off. I'm going to just stop hearing today. I don't feel, no, God called us the body of Christ and he said that we every joint fitly joined supplies and every joint that supplies edifies itself in love. Unless the ear will do its job, it cannot be edified in love. You have got to get up off your good for whatever you call it and approach the anointing for yourself. Begin to feed yourself. Stop going to dinner with people. We're going to talk to you about how they just ain't getting fed. I'm just not getting fed. I'm just not receiving of the Lord for things I ought to receive. You get with 10 or 12 of them at a dinner, and before long, all of y'all had quit the church and gone somewhere else. Shut them up! Oh, I'm preaching so good. If you're not going to amen me, I'm going to amen myself. Amen, Pastor C. Amen. The one last thing this man did, I could go on forever on this, just this one story. And what I hope what you'll do is say, man, he stirred me today. I'm going to go home and I'm going to study. I tell you what, we had a time in Georgetown, Thursday night. That place exploded. People weeping all over the building, falling out in the presence of God. Just the presence of God was just in the room. And then Wednesday morning, we had a prayer meeting. For some of you men who own businesses and things and can get away for lunchtime, take an early lunch. Some of you men that don't even have a job, I'll tell you what y'all do. Be in church. Come to Wednesday morning prayer. I'll bless you. Make an appointment with God to be there on Wednesday mornings at 1030. Come at 11 if you have to. Leave early, but Come. Take an early lunch for Wednesday. One day a week won't hurt you. And come. Preaching real good. What a time we had. Man, the power of God, the word of God. Sunday night last week. Man, the word of God, the power of God. I thought we were going to elevate out of the place. How many were here last Sunday night? My Lord. 
The presence of God came in this room. The word has been so strong. I have preached four solid messages on healing. That's strong word. And here's the thing. Here's what you got to understand. You know how people grow? The Bible says we grow by the sincere. I'm going to catch the rest of this tonight. We grow by the sincere milk. Milk. Everybody's running off trying to get a deeper word. You hadn't even got the milk. When I got to stand up in a congregation and have people walk out because I preached on drinking, we ain't got the milk. When you live in prosperity and you decide that you don't need to hear a word more that I've got to say, you ain't got to listen to one more thing I say. Then you can say what you've got to say. But until you're walking in the total blessings of God, in a marriage that is totally healthy and fully fulfilled, God wants a one flesh marriage. Until you're there, we're working on it. God told us we're to be entire, wanting nothing. That's where God wants us to be. We're to, he said, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that this, the trying of your faith, worketh patience. Not God trying you, not you being tried, but your faith is tried by the devil and tempted by the devil. When your faith is tempted by the devil, he said, count it all joy. Why do you count it all joy? Because after patience has his work, after you've waited and waited on God, after you didn't need anything to see it, but you believed it anyhow, anyhow, we didn't need to see anything. I walked on the track. Listen, I'm going to tell you two stories, just, just real quick. I was walking on the track, three stories. I was walking on the track when they called me and told me you were dead on the table. And the Lord told me on that track, she ain't dead. She's too, too strong to die. Too much of a fighter. She got right back up. She didn't even got it. Mean, I mean, heal. I mean, as far as you can be healed as you are right now, you are healed. I mean, you were dead. She's not dead today, but I didn't need to see anything. I knew it on the track. I'm laying on the bed yesterday, and the Spirit of the Lord came on me. I said, go clean your swimming pool. I clean my swimming pool. It's hot. Because <laughs> my kids were going to jump in it later. I knew it. And I heard the Lord say, go clean your swimming pool. I laid down and watched August rush. In the middle of August rush, the Lord said, get up. I heard it. It's just like you yelling at me. Get up and go clean your swimming pool. I didn't have no shoes on. I had a pair of shorts on and a white T-shirt. I had to go get some shoes to put on. I, no, I didn't even have shoes. I went out there and grabbed the thing, put it all together, got ready to go walk back in the house. I thought, I don't really need to do this. What God tell me to clean my swimming pool for? I laid back down and heard the Lord say, get up. Go clean your swimming pool. This is what we do when we walk with God, see. This is what I'm teaching y'all. Listen to what I got to say to y'all. I went out there and a water moccasin was swimming around in my swimming pool that I did not see until I started cleaning the pool. My children would have jumped in that swimming pool with a deadly snake that would have killed them or hurt them. But the Lord! I walk by faith and not by sight. You don't just need a bunch of hoopla. You need the Holy Ghost. You need the power of God. You need the word of God. You need the milk of God. So that no deadly weapon formed against you shall prosper. So you can overcome in every adversity. And this is what I'm believing for your children this week. I'm believing when I lay hands on them 
that a hedge and a covering comes over them and that no weapon can come against your children and prosper. Somebody shout out amen.